When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. It was a seven goal thriller, and Trent scored the winner. Liverpool left it late to beat Fulham at Anfield. We'll talk about the nature of the comeback and ask if Trent is the answer to Liverpool's number six question. And with James Pearce and Andy Jones. As ever, let's start with those three words. Andy, over to you. I reckon you're prepared, unlike that lazy slacker that we normally have on. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to go with title contending credentials. Oh, very nice, very nice, James. Trent, you beauty. Oh, I'd like it, I like it. Let's see what they're saying over in the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Cliff Coleman, Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's as simple as they come. Beto Lozano, this is Anfield. Very Shankly-esque. Jeff Way, match of worldies. Uh, I don't know about Fulham's. You know, the uh, the, the the one that sneaked in. Uh, Lewis Cotton, champions win those. And that's a very, very good point. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. James, was it tougher than it needed to be? Yes, yeah, yeah, a lot tougher. Yeah, Liverpool dug themselves a rather sizable hole and then managed to clamber out of it in the in the nick of time. So, um yeah, it was out of keeping, really, with what we've seen at Anfield so far this season. I think all previous 10 home wins in all competitions have been by two or more goals. And there hadn't really been much feeling of jeopardy along the way. But that, that was very different on Sunday. Yeah, I think, I think it was just that general lack of, lack of control, really. Um, and how open Liverpool were when they lost the ball. You only had to look at the manner of Fulham's goals. You know, the first one... I think it was Matip's misplaced pass and, you know, they're wide open, don't react quick, quickly enough, far too passive. Um, and Wilson's able to sneak in there and score. And then, you know, the second one, you know, how does Jimenez get a free header from a set piece like that? Again, just not alert, not concentrated, not on the front foot enough. And, you know, it could even have got worse before half time with that, you know, the, the, the disallowed goal as well for off offside, you know, more shoddy marking from a set piece. And then even the third goal from Fulham, you know, I think, it, again, that was similar to the first one in terms of under no real pressure. It was Gravenberg gives it away cheaply, you know, could have played quite a simple pass to Diaz, gets it horribly wrong. And then, you know, nobody puts in a challenge. No one gets close enough to shut down space. And and at that point, you're thinking this could be a massively, massively damaging Defeat in the context of the season, you know, it, it was the latest Liverpool have gone behind in the Premier League era and, and still come back to win. 
And when you win a game in that man- manner, yeah, you know, of course, there's you can pick out lots of failings, but it does not feel sweet, you know. And I think, you know, in terms of getting yourself out of jail, I think it does give you something that, you know, it's it's a, you're in a much better position, aren't you? Working on stuff that needs to be improved on the back of a scrappy win rather than a, a demoralising setback. Yeah, I think it's one of those games that if Liverpool go on to to win the league, for example, it's one that you look back on and think that was a key moment where you did turn a little bit towards Liverpool. I've got the ability to go on and win it because I think we're all still in that little bit of limbo. Is are they really, you know, going to be up the top by the end of the season, or are they still in that building mode? And this is at one point they're going to hit a bit of a sticky spell, and that's and that that could have been this game. But I think the manner of it. You know, conceding with only ten to go to go three two down. I think, especially you know when you think back to last last season, that would have probably been the final score, and everyone would have been fuming again. I think it's it's one of those games that you'll always remember for how it because of the way you know to score two in what was it forty seven seconds. One of those moments types of games that you'll you'll refer back to maybe the next time Liverpool have a comeback. But it'll, it, it's one of them, isn't it? It'll, it'll become significant if it ends up being, you know, Liverpool win the league by a couple of points and you can you can look back at this game and go, well, that was where, you know, they the turned something that could easily have been no points into three. Yeah. James, why was it so chaotic? Um, I think b- because of that that lack of control and Fulham's ability to, to pick holes in Liverpool's defensive setup that just wasn't, compact or organized enough i think that was the that was the biggest thing because one thing you won't ever forget probably is just you know it's so rare to see a game with so many goals of such incredible high caliber because it was like you know and i know the the killjoys have taken the opening goal off trent but like that was a magnificent free kick to break the deadlock and you think well we're not going to see better than that today and then they go back in front with Alexis McAllister's which for me was the pick of the day um you know what a strike that is first time from 26 27 yards and you only had to look at you know there's a great video doing the rounds yesterday on social media of you know Salah and Trent's reaction to it going in like just completely like kind of awestruck by the by the brilliance of it and then you know what Taro Endo what you know I think I can't have been the only person inside Anfield who was scratching their head a bit when he gets brought on and you're thinking come off it three two down yeah you're thinking we'll set them for the defeat <laughs> just don't don't let them make it for the um and you think is is that really gonna gonna get liverpool going again and you know it was in a pretty chaotic match that was a moment of real quality and composure from from endo and, it, and i know he's had he's had some decent moments hasn't he before but largely in the europa league and in much changed lineups but that felt big for him to uh, to not just because it was his first premier league goal but the timing of it and the significance. And you could see from the reaction of his teammates, you know, like he's a, he's a really popular guy, Endo, and they want to see him do well. And that just transformed the atmosphere inside Anfield because suddenly it was an absolute bear pit. And you, I think everyone then thought, we're getting another one here. You know, the, I think the players believed that, the fans believed that. Um, I didn't think it would come quite so quickly as it, as it did. But yeah, it was... You know, such a such a special moment for Trent, especially off the back of what happened at the Etihad the week before. You know, the hero then, and another Gerard esque moment for him to you know the touch, and then the, you know the exquisite arrowed finish in front of the cop, and 
certainly that those celebrations will live long in the memory. It was brilliant to me. I was with two Fulham fans. And the thing is, the first time at Anfield, and they were like, oh, yeah, the atmosphere is good. And I was like, nah, Sunday afternoon, it's, you know, it's flat. And, you know, you, you, you're going to get games like this, you know. And then, of course, at the end, I was like, yeah, you got a little taste of what it can be like, you know. To, <laughs> but, I, you know, Andy, unbelievably, it's Klopp's sixth 4-3 win in the Premier League. And before Klopp, Liverpool only had four 4-3s in their history. You know, on the, the Facebook group, Ash says, was the 4-3 against Fulham a better 4-3 than the Newcastle 4-3s, given the quality of the goals? What's your verdict on that? So, my, mine's a bit of a tricky one, because I wasn't born for either of the two Newcastle ones. Oh, go on, go on, you know. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Fle- flex your youth. <laughs> but I have been there. I, I obviously know about them. I, d- I do think that Collingwell moment is is as good as it gets. So... I think this one is. I think it's fair to, to put this one up there with it because of the the nature of the, you know, the jeopardy and the last minute stuff. But there was also the last minute stuff in both of those four threes as well. And I think I think that's what makes them great, isn't it? Is that when you have that drama at the end, um, which all three of them did. Um, I think that that's what that's what makes them great. Um, but I think the Newcastle. I'm not sure which one. Uh, probably the Collymore one. Would pro- I think is 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 probably is still. Much better. Barnes, rush, Barnes. Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! That, that night, the Collymore one, I was standing on the cop and while everyone celebrated, I howled in pain and screamed, you've just given United the title. <laughs> oh, honestly, I... I, I, I I was so unhappy, so, so unhappy. But no, I mean, I mean James, there have been periods in the Klopp era where the team has exerted control, but they do thrive on chaos, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think especially with where this team are at at the moment, it does feel like a bit of a throwback to the early years, I guess, of Klopp's reign before he had that that solidity and control and, you know, especially you think of the title winning season when there was just that feeling, wasn't there, that once Liverpool went one or two nil up, that's it. You know, I think opponents even felt that because it was like, well, there's no way back here. And Liverpool were very good at dropping off. It wasn't always spectacular or pleasing on the eye, but they would inevitably just, you know, see out the game and, and manage it really carefully. And I don't, I just don't think they're able to do that at the moment. I don't, I don't think there's been any great kind of shift in Klopp's mentality, I think it's just, I think he's got a team at the minute which has got so much firepower in it. He's He's got a completely rebuilt engine room, essentially, where he's still, players are trying to adapt to what he wants from them, still trying to you know work out what is his best combinations in there. And Liverpool are open out of possession. I think, you know, Mark Carey, our, our data guru, was saying yesterday that, you know, Liverpool are, I think they're top in terms of direct attacks, which is essentially counterattacks. And and I think second in terms of conceding counterattacks. And that that kind of tells you a little bit where where this team are at at the moment. And um it's exciting. And I think, you know, it Klopp Klopp is committed, isn't he, to you know, he, he is always from the moment he walked in, vowed to produce an you know, a, a pleasing on the eye, exciting brand of football. But I think he'll also know that it's probably not sustainable in terms of the title race. You can't be needing to score three or four every week to win games. I just don't think 
I don't think it's realistic that you're, you're always going to be that prolific at the other end. So it was like, you know, enjoy Sunday. It was another another kind of special one in terms of the, the Klopp era at Anfield. But let's not beat around the bush. Like they, do, they, they do need to tighten up. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Right, we've got to talk about Trent. I actually thought when he moved into the midfield area, we looked a little bit more ragged. I'm I'm still not sold on this idea that we're close to the evolution of him becoming the midfielder that'll take us further. It might happen, but I don't know, James. What did you think? I, I think that's where we're going now. I, I think there's telltale signs in terms of Klopp turning to him to play as an out-and-out midfielder. You know, it's there's been so much debate about it, hasn't there, over the last couple of years? And 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 I've I've kind of for a long time I was in the kind of Klopp camp, really, of what he said after Southgate threw him in at the deep end and played him in midfield for England against Andorra just over two years ago that, you know, I think Klopp's attitude was, well, why would you move the best right back in the world in, into midfield? You know, it, 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 that doesn't make sense. But I, I actually think now it does make sense for two reasons, really. One, team-wise, I think Liverpool's style has evolved to the point where they're not now reliant on the fullbacks providing width and whipping crosses. That's happening less and less they're actually playing through the central areas a lot more. They've got, you know, a rebuilt midfield where in the early years of Klopp, you know, especially the success they had under Klopp with his first iconic team, the midfield was like workmanlike and it was all about organisation and shutting down space and blocking passing lanes and all the rest of it. Now it's a much more progressive kind of creative midfield. And, and I just think that suits Trent perfectly in that area. And I, I also just think when you watch him play, I just think, you know, and I, and I thought he was absolutely sensational at times on Sunday, not, not, not just around the goals, but like, you know, there was that one moment where he, I think he received the ball off Quivine Kelleher in like the left back position. You're thinking, Oh, what's he, what he's doing, doing there. I know sometimes the fullbacks switch over, don't they? When there's a, if there's like a set piece. Yeah. There was a lot of that going um, on. Yeah, and he, you know, he just drifted past a couple of players like they weren't even there through the center of the pitch, and I think he played a one-two with Zabozlai, and it didn't, it didn't lead to a goal. But it was like, wow, he's literally just taken Liverpool seventy, eighty yards up the pitch, virtually single-handedly. And I just think you can just see that he loves playing centrally, and I don't think, I don't think he gets anywhere near the same level of joy now from playing right back and from having to defend and from having wingers flying at him down that. And I also think as much as this system with the hybrid role has got Liverpool going again, and you can't argue with the fact, what is it, one defeat in 24 Premier League games going back to the start of April since Klopp made the change. And even that one defeat was obviously in the most controversial of circumstances down at Tottenham. But I'm just not sure it is sustainable, this system, because I I just think... Why would you? It asks so much of Trent. I'm not sure I want to see him anymore having to tear back to right back when moves break down. I, I want him to stay in that centre of the pitch where he can influence games to to the greatest degree. And it, and, it, and I do think there's been a shift in Klopp's mindset. The fact that 
you know, when Liverpool were crying out for some control on Sunday, Klopp went, right, Gomez is coming on at right back. Trent, you're now an out and out midfielder. And I think now he is a serious option. And that, that's why for me, I see a lot of people saying, oh, Liverpool have to go and buy a number six in January or or even next summer if you can't get a you need in, in January. But I actually think a bigger priority would be buying a right back. I, I agree and, completely. And, and just saying, right, Trent, you are now a midfielder. That is where your future lies. And I know people will say, ah, but he hasn't, he doesn't know the defensive side of that game and they're playing the number six and it's okay against teams when you have 70% possession. But what about against bigger opponents and where it's, you know, you've got, you know, you, it's all about protecting and trying to stop counterattacks and all the rest of it. But he's an incredibly t- intelligent footballer, Alexander Arnold. I, I, I've got no doubt that he could make those, make those changes to his game. And I just think, he is so, so gifted that I, this just feels like we're seeing the evolution of him, I think, into a midfielder permanently. It's a really interesting debate, and I think you could genuinely talk about it for God knows how long, really. Um, about, and we will, it, and we will. <laughs> but think, people, this is a six-hour podcast. <laughs> I think the, the, the thing to me about if you move Trent into the number six is I think what has been so key for him in this new role in the hybrid role is the freedom he's been able to have. And I think if you become the singular number six, I don't think you've got that because I think teams are then able to plan, well, we know he's always going to be there because he's got to stay central because if not, then you leave yourself really exposed unless you've got somebody basically rotating. And I think it was interesting that you mentioned that that Liverpool, I don't think necessarily got much better when he moved into the six against Fulham until Endo came on the pitch. And then suddenly you had someone next to Trent. I don't think Trent's in the position he is to score the goal to win it if Endo's not on the pitch because when you, you can see Endo's dropped into that sort of deeper central role for when Trent moves up. So it's it, whether Liverpool may have to change system to because you still want him deep to ping the passes and pull the strings, which is what he, he did so brilliantly against Fulham. Um, but then you also want to give him the freedom to get up the pitch but not leave yourself completely exposed, which if you play them as a single six, that might happen. But I think you're right on, on the right back front um, because you look at Liverpool's options and Joe Gomez has, has shown he's, he's more than capable to play there. But whether he can start every game every week, you know, we know his injury injury history isn't favourable. And then you've got two young lads who are still, you know, proving themselves and, and have yet to get much, if any, Premier League experience in, in Conor Bradley and and Calvin Ramsey. Now, and, and Klopp has, has, has done this in the past where if he believes that and we've seen it with Gerald Quanser this this season, where if he believes in a young player, then he will he will make sure that they get opportunities, and and he won't bring someone in to to get in their way. But it's different when it's Gerald Quanser and it's you know your your fifth choice centre back. Whereas if you are gonna you know make the move and and say right, Trent is going to be a midfielder, whatever that is, whether it's number eight, number six, whichever. You know, to then suddenly go, well, Connor Bradley's got to play every week now. That's a lot, a lot of burden to carry on a, a young player's shoulders. But then it's also what type of right back do you want? You still want to do the inverted stuff. You still want someone who's comfortable on the ball coming in. Or do you just want a, you know, a proper, you know, an old school defender? Do you still want, you know, the, the right back who's going to bomb it down the wing? It's interesting, isn't it? But I think, I think, I think it's right. I think Liverpool have now sorted the midfield to the point where, you probably don't need, you know, to add any more there at the moment, unless you know there's not a glaring weakness there. Okay, you can talk about the six, but I think 
they've got enough there to to sort that out. So then suddenly you, you are looking at right back and thinking, well, if you are if you aren't completely confident on these players that you've got, then that's that's where you get your next experience playing in. When Klopp made that change on Sunday, he didn't play Trent, did he? As just like the number six on his own, he played with two two number sixes essentially. You know, initially Trent had Gravenberg next to him, and then Gravenberg goes off, and, and Endo comes on. So that may well be the way that he decides to go where, you know, I know you love things like this, Tony, Brendan Rogers used to talk about flipping the triangle in midfield <laughs> and, um, and, and having a, whether you have a one and a two or a two and a one. And um, maybe, maybe it is the case to just to pick up on what Andy said about Trent playing with freedom, because I don't think you want to lose that because that was kind of how he got Liverpool back into the game at the Etihad because, you know, he talked afterwards about how Bernardo Silva basically followed him around in the first half. So you need, you, you can't have Trent, I don't think. I think he's, so, he, he's got the ability to dictate games so much. You, you need him to have that freedom to drift, I think, at times to try and find space to be able to do what he can do best. So maybe it will be as a kind of, a, a kind of two-pronged kind of base of the midfield, if you like, where, you know, whether that's him and McAllister or him and Endo, at, at times, and then with a, with a Zabozlai or a or a Gravenberg maybe, or a Curtis Jones, or even a Gagpo ahead of them. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot for Klopp to kind of ponder there. But it's going to be interesting to see how how he does go about it. Because I don't think you know I, I I'm not suggesting that suddenly like right that's it now Trent is just a midfielder because as as Andy said, I don't think Liverpool have the options at right back to make that decision now anyway, even if Klopp wanted to. Because you know Joe Gomez does a great job there, but he's not—he's not a right back. You know he doesn't offer much going forward. Um, he's much more comfortable and you know and, and kind of more effective at, at centre back. And you know I, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Connor Bradley. He's the one I think they've got big hopes for. I think we would have seen a lot more of him up to now if he hadn't had that stress fracture in pre-season. He had a brilliant loan uh, last season at Bolton. You know he's already playing international football at senior level for Northern Ireland. So it's like, can he kick on? You know, it's a, it's a big ask, but if you're Connor Bradley at the moment, surely you're looking at it and yeah, thinking, you think there's a chance. You know, a vacancy has properly opened up there. I think in a, in a kind of, I know different situation, but when Trent came through, you know, he, Trent played a lot of his academy football in midfield. And then it was like Nathaniel Klein wasn't massively, it wasn't particularly impressive. And, you know, that you wanted more competition in that area. So it was like, well, actually, right back is your best best way into the team, essentially, is what the academy staff decided for Trent. And now if you're Connor Bradley, you know, you're looking at it and and thinking, well, what a chance this is. You know, in contrast to the other side where, you know, when you've got, when you're trying to get past Robertson and Simakas, if you're Luke Chambers, that's a, that's a much more difficult proposition. I want to briefly talk about Salah as well because I was there at Anfield and, you know, every time you sort of see Salah live, you're reminded of just how good he was. Yeah, I read on social media and I read, in fact, a couple of pieces saying that, you know, he was in, you know, he's not in his best form. I thought he was magnificent. His movement, his passing and that run when he fed Darwin the ball in the box, the pace he ran with the ball took me breath away. And then he put the pass in the only place the big fella could hit it. And he hits the bar and it was like, but I was just like, 
And I turned to the two Fulham fans and went, I said, like, you know what? It was worth you coming all the way just to see that. You're in the presence of greatness. I think that's the thing with Salah, isn't it? I think there are times when I think you can become a little bit frustrated by him. But I think that's because he's continuously always trying to make something happen. And sometimes that means occasionally he does try one too many, you know, sort of amazing or, you know, attempted amazing passes to try and slide someone in. And I think there can be a few groans, but I think that it's that's a testament to how involved he is in the game a lot of the time. And especially in this role now where he does need to drop a little bit deeper and sign link play. And, and we have, I think we've talked about and written about how his game is, is continuing to evolve to him especially to involve that that quality passion that he's got. You, you can sometimes, when, especially in games like this, when you know when it's frustrating and you look to him to, to be the one to, to sort it out by scoring and there are a couple of chances which he misses. You know, he probably should square to Diaz, I think, right at the end of the first half. And then there's the one, um, I think, at 3-2, where he, he blazes it over from a couple of yards and you just think that's... That for him, that's that's bread and butter. That's got to go in. So I can sort of understand the frustration, but I think that's the testament to him being involved all the time. And sometimes you can then miss the brilliance that he always brings. It, it will always be with Mo Salah. I think once he's gone, that's when that's when he may be appreciated the most by everybody. I think he's very much appreciated by a lot of people at the moment, and he has been. But um, I think for some people, when it's when he's gone, is when people will, be, will really realize, wow. You know, to be involved in everything all the time, always trying to make something happen. Whether it comes off or doesn't come off, he's trying again the next minute. The next time he gets the ball, he's trying it again, trying to do something different. You know, gets gets the assist for the endo goal, lays it on a plate perfectly for him. You would say probably a simple pass, but he's got to put it in the right place. And as you say, for the Darwin one again, it's that perfect pass in, in right where, you know, Darwin needs it to hit it. Um, and unfortunately, crashes off the bar. So, yeah. I can see why you can get frustrated with performances, but you always know that genuinely he's going to come up with the goods. I mean, I must admit, James, was I the only one in the ground when he laid the ball off to end? Or were you like, no, don't do that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think you were the only one. But yeah, it was that. That was that was such a such a fantastic moment, wasn't it? And um, yeah, as I said earlier on, like just by far and away the biggest moment that Endo's had in a. A Liverpool shirt so far, and and again, I think it. Anyone that criticises Salah off the back of Sunday, which I, I I hadn't, I can't say I've actually seen those pieces, but um, I just think it, it just shows a complete lack of appreciation for his all round game. Yeah, it wasn't quite criticism. He, it was like, but he's not at his best, and I was like, what do you want? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got more Liverpool, he's got more assists than any Liverpool player so far this season and you know he is a marked man isn't he in so many games because teams you know when they can they double up on him they you know they do everything to try and stop him and he he is so good at creating space for other players and you know he should have had you know Nunes Nunes just had one of those days didn't he I mean Salah could easily easily have had another couple of assists Mm. to his his collection I think yeah I mean it's I think it's great I think the way that you know the fans stay behind Nunes when he's struggling. You can see how much it means to him. He's lost me with that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that You're was jealous. That wasn't it. <laughs> the, <laughs> but I do, I do, I, I do think that sometimes it can go the other way. Like I, I, I love the sight of 
of fans like getting behind someone when they've made a mistake rather than because that that has to be you know it's so counterproductive isn't it when you sense that you know the howls of derision and stuff at games and you think well that's not going to help is it the next time a chance comes that player's way and I think Nunes is is lucky to have that that support because I don't think he'd have that at a lot of other clubs but it's also okay to take a step back and go this guy really should have more than four Premier League goals to his name this season because we're 14 games in. There was bits to really admire about his game again on Sunday, but there was, there's still a lot of rough edges. And and again, you know, he's a bit unlucky with the one that hits the bar, but it's like this thing of feeling like he has to absolutely stick his laces through everything. He lashes everything, Tony. You just think, come on, like a little bit of composure, just a bit of placement, um, you know, and there was, you know, the Salah nod down that he made an absolute hash of as well. And you could see Klopp was pulling his hair out at times first half with some of his distribution. There was one I can think of where he held the ball up quite nicely initially near the halfway line. Then he tried to switch play and just, you know, played, you know, uh, the, one, you know no one was anywhere near where it ended up. And suddenly Fulham were, Fulham were galloping into space. So it was like... I thought he was better second half, actually. I think you could tell that they'd got into him at half time. But yeah, you do you do think that if Liverpool are gonna win something big this season, he he is gonna have to go to the next level, really, just in terms of the end product. Yeah. Because you know, he, he's so involved in games, he caused so many problems, he's such a handful. But you know, you, you don't want to be in a position where you're constantly having to make excuses for him. You wanna be talking about match-winning performances from from your number nine. Yeah, I think it's it's one of them, isn't it, with him? It's because he's always so involved that when it's not going right for him, it does make it even worse. It almost amplifies it because he's always involved. But I think... Yeah, he never hides, does he? It's not like he goes 10 or 15 minutes without being involved. You even look at three of Liverpool's goals um, yesterday. You know, it's his one-two, which wins the free kick with Sabozlai. Uh, his knockdown to Salah, which then he's great, you know, plays to Endo and he keeps the ball alive after for, for Trent's one. So even when he's not necessarily finishing, he's still somehow <laughs> helping things or, or keeping keeping things alive for Liverpool, which you know, which is good. But then as you say, yeah, the you, you just hope that <laughs> you hope that the encouragement doesn't think that it's okay to keep missing. <laughs> just as long as he doesn't start thinking that. <laughs> that, that that's the main thing. <laughs> You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Well, two points off the top of the league. I think Man City's draw with Tottenham and their general form is encouraging. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether we should have been a bit more adventurous at the Etihad, given how ragged they are. But they took a slightly different approach against us. But you know what? It does look as if this will be a real title race. But we've got two difficult back-to-back away games, haven't we, Andy? Against Sheffield United on Wednesday and Palace on Saturday. Yeah, these are almost like the, the games that, in a weird way, matter the most in that you've just got to win them. You know they're not going to be pretty. You know they're not going to be nice. Sheffield are going to have a, a bit of a that typical you know manager bounce. It's going to be a bit of a cold and a bit of an atmosphere that you're going to have to deal with. And, and Palace, Palace away is... Even Liverpool have got a really good record. They never ever feels easy. Well, it wasn't a good game at all there last year. So it's these are about just getting through them and just trying to manage the games and 
you know, it doesn't matter how bad you play, just as long as you win them, and that's the main thing. And and that's these are the types of games and these are the types of runs where it sets you up and for, for them for them bigger games where you can you know you are battling those up, up towards the top as well and you've just got to you've got to build that platform and that's what these two games give Liverpool the opportunity to do and they should take six points from them but easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, James, I made the point last week that. This is the point in the season where Klopp normally shuffles the team a little bit. What what sorts of changes are we expecting for Sheffield United? I think he he will definitely shuffle his pack quite considerably, especially with he'll have one eye on that dreaded Saturday twelve thirty at, at Selhurst Park as well, because it is it is another real quick turnaround. Um so yeah, waiting as we sit here now, waiting to learn the full extent of Joel Matip's knee injury, but it the, the initial kind of signals were pretty bleak it on that. It looked really which, bad, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it's never a good sign, is it, when a player goes down and then indicates straight away, like, like I'm going to have to come off. Like it wasn't even, mm. it wasn't even up for debate, was it? He knew, and sadly, Joel Matip has had enough injuries in his career to know when something's not right. So yeah, you'd imagine, you'd imagine that Canate would. Would come come back into the the starting lineup, and then yeah, I, I'd expect him to freshen it up in in midfield because you know Zaboslai, you just want to see a little bit more from him. I think you know he had such a sensational start to his Liverpool career that it probably wasn't realistic to think that he could maintain those heights week after week. But there has been a drop off, I think, of late. Definitely, yeah. Whether we whether we see Curtis Jones come back in or. Or Harvey Elliott, you'd imagine, you know, he'd he'd freshen that up, that department, and then further up the pitch, you know, Gagpo is probably the most obvious one to to come into the the front line. So yeah, it's a real juggling act for him at the moment, and it's kind of it's kind of at that point where you think, okay, it's it's not too bad at the minute with the injuries, but you know, another one or two, and we really will, you know, the alarm bells will be ringing in terms of the, the testing the depth of this squad because you know to lose Allison and Jota. You know, a week ago was 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 tough enough, but then to lose Matip, especially with Matip having been in such great form, I think, you know, I think he's certainly surpassed my expectations so far this season. He's been keeping Canate out the team on merit a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, it's such an intensive period, and and this this is the kind of week where you know Liverpool's record hasn't been great, has it? Especially away at you know newly promoted teams and. You know the, the the record at Palace is actually very good in in recent years, despite people always going back to that three three under Rodgers. So it's that's always held up as oh, that's, you know it's a real real nightmare place for Liverpool, but it, it's not actually stacked up by the, the results there the seven since nil. then. But um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's again, it's kind of this is the kind of period now where you've got to prove that you are title contenders and. It will, it's probably not realistic to think that it's going to be some free-flowing exhibition of football at Bramall Lane. You're going to have to go and fight and scrap. And as Andy said, it, it probably does feel like a slightly bad time to be going there because of Heggenbottom getting the sack. And, you know, it's you almost want to go to, to face a team down there when the manager is on his last legs and he's lost the dressing room and everyone's chins are on the floor. You don't really want to be going there when suddenly someone new has come in and provided a lift around the place. So, But if the attitude is right and the commitment is right, Liverpool should should win both those games this week. And at least then, you know, there's a little bit of kind of daylight there where, you know, you've got that final Europa League group game at, at Union 
in Brussels next week where I'd like to think Klopp would give you two a game with, a, <laughs> with absolutely with absolutely nothing riding on it. So you don't want to see you don't want to see any of your big hitters involved in that game because you've got the small matter of Manchester United coming to Anfield the following Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And Andy, what about Kelleher? What do you think of me? He, he he's not in the best of his form, is he? You know, he's he's not been to the level we've we've sort of seen in the past, I guess, when he when he's come in at times. Um I think the two goals, especially those first two, the Fulham score, both I think you can look back on and say he should have done better. I think if Allison's in goal, I think he saves at least one, maybe both of them. Um I think the corner one's a little bit difficult because it is point blank range and they're one of those where they could have easily hit his foot and gone wide or, you know, those ones are a little bit of potluck in terms of when it is that close. But he, he, I'd imagine he'll be disappointed with the, the Wilson goal um, because he shouldn't really be be letting that go through him. Yeah, I think it, it's a little bit of, it is a little bit of a concern because you know that, you know, expect, you know, Chef United, you can expect they're going to try and put him under as much pressure, pressure as possible from, from sort of high balls into the box and, and corners and set pieces. Um, it probably helps that, Ollie McBurney will be missing because you know he he'd try and get in there and throw his elbows about as he did at Burnley and <laughs> got himself sent off. So yeah, it's it's a little bit little bit of a concern because you do think with Liverpool have cruised to that win against Fulham if you know if Allison had been been in goal and it's not not the type of thing you want to be you know you want to be thinking. But equally, <laughs> it's always difficult with Kelleher because you are comparing them to the best in the world. Um, yeah, and, I think, and, and and you know this this might be. A, a period for him where he can get that run of games and a bit of consistency, and you know you might you know, hopefully we'll we'll see his form continue to improve. He did get that first clean sheet against Lask and, and you know made a, a couple of good saves, so that was that was encouraging. But yeah, it's, it, he doesn't he's, he's not he's not in his best form, but I think you can you can understand that given you know the in and out elements of of, of what he has to do as a backup goalkeeper. Well, it's the, one of the hardest jobs in football being a backup goalkeeper, but. How far is Alison away, James? And we want hourly updates. Hourly updates. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I can provide quite that. Um, but I know, I know. In the couple of days that that followed, that you know, the the scan that he obviously had on his hamstring after the game against Man City, the 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 target was to be back for for Manchester United. So um, yeah, that's. I'm not aware that that has changed. Whether whether that you know a lot of it does depend, obviously, on how he responds to treatment in the meantime. But uh, yeah, if they can get him fit before then, it's a, it obviously be a bonus. But that would that would be huge, especially with you know you, what have you got? It's it's such a big week, isn't it? After United, you've got you know the the Carabao Cup quarter final against West Ham, and then and then the visit of Arsenal just before Christmas as well. So. Um, yeah, I did have some sympathy for Keller because it's not easy when you've played so little football and then you're thrown in and there is different pressure attached to playing in the Premier League compared to you know, the Europa League where Liverpool have been so much better than everyone else in their group. It's it's, it's a different feel to it. But yeah, you desperately want Alisson back out there for, for United and Arsenal. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, obviously we want to be at full strength then. But before that, all we'd like to do is we'd like to come out, come back from Yorkshire with three points and also give our good friend Roy Hodgson a Christmas present. <laughs> and, you know, a 7-0, like, December 2020 would be the perfect sort of gift. I'd, 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 I'd like to present that to him myself. Because you, you know how Roy and I get on. 
Like a house on fire. Yeah, mm, literally. Well, that's it for this week on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Andy, and you two for joining us. Keep an eye out for At The Match Pods, and we'll be back with Walk On next Wednesday. We'll catch you then. The Athletic.